Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through the day. Now here's your host, Nada Hogan. Welcome to Dare a New Belief, the podcast where you become inspired and you have creative ideas to begin to live your life completely on purpose, knowing that there is more for you in this epic life that you are living. Today, my guest is Lisbeth Tans, and you will love her. I've come to know about her just recently. I would say there's a great connection. I really enjoy speaking with Liz. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. So Liz is a nonfiction book ghostwriter, editor, and author coach at Fuzzy Dog LLC. Liz's forte is assisting authors in writing their authentic truths and creating compelling stories so they can make a positive difference in the world. And we're not going to talk about any of that. (laughs) We may, we may a little bit, but Liz has such a powerful story that I know will touch so many lives. And I think people just need to have that inspiration and that knowledge and power of knowing that you can overcome anything, overcome anything. And I think having those models in our lives gives us the permission to be able to overcome whatever our tragedy or challenges or circumstances happens to be. So Liz, welcome. Thank you for being here. Nita, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. Ah, thank you. It's truly my honor having you. And I just kind of want to dive in here a little bit, get started with your story when you were young. You, I know that you had some illnesses when you were young. You started off you know, your little, little life with some health issues. So can you tell us a little bit about that, just where you started when you came into this world that's so beautiful and loving and, and you're experiencing all the love and beauty in this world now? Okay. Well, when I was born, I was born with a cataract in my right eye. I also was born with uh, severe asthma and allergies. So when I was three, they removed the cataract but because of the way it had attached in my eye, it permanently damaged the eye. So I've, I've never had binocular vision. Suddenly I would wake up one day and have it. I think I'd have to relearn to walk and do things because my brain would not know how to function. Mm-hmm. The, the asthma and allergies, I, I just kind of had to live with because I was born in 62. So back then there really were no uh, rescue inhalers. Primatine mist was the first one that came about when I was a little bit older, but it really was, it was challenging because there were so many things I couldn't do as a kid that all my friends could do. It is one of the reasons I'm a ghostwriter today and and I work in the book industry because books were my friends. It's not that I didn't have friends. I don't want to sound that bad, but they were the ones that were my constants. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So starting off your life a little bit, you know, with the health issues, it, it holds you back a little bit. So I have these, I do have friends, but I have these books that are more of my dear companions and I'm relating with them. And so I'm just stuck on this piece. Could, you were saying you would have like walking with the cataract. There was things that were even inhibiting your walking or making that more difficult. Did I hear that right? Well, no, what I was saying is if I would ever have sight that involved two eyes because I've only always seen out of my left eye, I think my brain would kind of freak out because suddenly I'd have dual vision and I have no idea what that's like because I've never seen that way. Wow. My reality has always been through one eye. Wow. Wow. So I heard that completely incorrectly. So thank you for straightening me out on that. Well, <laughs> sure. That, yeah. Isn't that, that's just, it's amazing. It's just amazing. We can go down a whole field with this one. So <laughs> I'm going to bring this back in, but all right. So there was some health issues that started off. And by the way, how is your asthma now? Where is that at in your adult life? 
Well, some of the allergies that I had, I outgrew, which was great, but I, uh, I will always have asthma. It's under control. These days I take medication to keep it under control and uh, life, is, life is great. Uh, there's not too much that I cannot do at this point. Yeah. So that's a nice plus to the uh, medical field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know that stress completely wreaks havoc in our body all of the time if we're stressed and it's going to have a physiological response. When you get yourself into or find yourself in a stressful situation, do you notice that your asthma is kicking in quicker or do you even know, does it affect your asthma? I'm assuming that it would, but maybe you have that under control enough that you don't notice it showing up in asthma. That is a really good question. And I'm not sure I can answer that. I have to think about it because I am blessed is probably the right word to use to live a very low stress life these days. Oh, good. Um, compared to what I was living even five years ago. So I would say yes. I mean, especially if the stress is, is more of a physical stress. Certainly if I would go out and try to run a marathon or I'm sorry, even run a block, I probably would have to stop, use my rescue inhaler and then keep going till my knees would start complaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, I would say it probably does affect my breathing. I tend to breathe pretty shallow and I've been working on that because breathing fully is much better for the body. But as an asthma sufferer, we tend to breathe with our chest because it's a habit. You know, when you can't breathe, what do you, what do you feel going happening? It's, it's your chest going up and down. So uh, I try to be aware of that. I am a singer, although I'm taking a hiatus because of my allergies, unfortunately. Mm. And singing with asthma is very interesting. It's actually pretty therapeutic. There are other reasons why I decided to take up singing, and I'll try to remember that when we get farther into my story as far as kind of how that affected me in stepping up. And I didn't do that until I was 50, so it's not like I've been doing this a long time. Wow. That's fabulous. Oh, we'll swing back. I have a mark here. We're swinging back to how you got into singing at 50. I think that's fantastic. One of the reasons that I was asking you with the stress, because it just occurred to me, you and I have spoken before, but different things, right? We always, different environment, different conversation, and then different ideas are spurred on. And it just occurred to me that Grief in Chinese medicine is carried on the lung channel because I also do acupuncture and oriental medicine. And if you came to me and you said you had asthma and can you help me to get my asthma under control or you know, can we work on the asthma, the very first thing that I would ask you is, do you suffer from any grief or have you had an experience in your life where there was a huge grieving process or some kind of a trauma to your life? Because that's what the lung channel does in Chinese medicine. It carries the grief or, you know, that kind of a trauma. So, mm -hmm. so if we can segue into that a little bit, if we can go into mm -hmm. like the deeper part of this conversation where, because I know when you were young, you had some pretty horrific things happening and, um, you know, can you, can you take us down a little bit of that path gently? Sure. Sure. I will preface it by saying that what I'll tell you, I didn't remember until I became sexually active as a teenager. Yeah. So uh, I probably suffered from Stockholm syndrome a little bit in my youth. My brother, who is eight years older than me, decided when I was two that I would be a great person to explore his growing sexual interests. That's like a really, you know, professional way of saying it, uh, saying my brother molested me. And, um, and it started when I was quite young and had no words to describe what was happening for me. So I'm not surprised that I suppressed the memories because I didn't understand what was going on. Like I said, I didn't remember this until I was, I was probably 16 when my first boyfriend and I started fooling around. And I woke up one morning with memories I couldn't account for. And it was, it was devastating. And I could see me progressing through my childhood age-wise. 
and having these these new memories and uh, of my brother and I really didn't understand where to go with them. Yeah. And uh, of course, so I talked to my, my current boyfriend and he was sort of helpful, but not really, because I think he was weirded out, at, mm. understandably weirded out. Yeah. Um, and at some point, and I wish I could tell you when, I talked with my sister who is six years older and who was terrorized by my brother, but not molested. And she was able to confirm everything. And she was devastated. She truly thought I would never remember. Yeah. And, but being just that much younger than my brother and being afraid of my brother, she didn't go to my parents, even though she knew what was happening was wrong. Right. And I don't blame her for that. I don't know what I would have done if I'd been in her shoes. But the comfort that she gave me was knowing I wasn't crazy that I wasn't some wackadoodle making things up about my brother, whom I had idolized. Mm. I mean, I was like my brother's shadow. You know, we worked on cars together. We cleaned cars together. He would let me hang out sometimes with him and his friends. You know, it, it just was, it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And especially the part where you idolize him and that bond and being with him and just how good it felt. And then to have this memory, because I know when we had spoke before you had said, then I just found it so profound that you went to bed one night as a teenager and woke up in the morning as an abused child, knowing that you went to bed as one person and woke up in the morning as something different because there was this realization that something had happened in your life. Liz, can you tell me and tell the listeners what that was like? That Just that when you idolize that person and then you realize, oh my God, like did that part take years to be able to work through or how did that part play out? The idolizing him and now the whole complete opposite of, Oh my God, what happened all of those years ago? What happened for all of those years? I'm happy to talk about that. It was emotionally, it was devastating. I was, I'm, there was a, recently there was a documentary that came out about Michael Jackson. I'm sure you've heard about it, Leaving, leaving Neverland. And in that they're interviewing two men who were molested by Michael Jackson. And one of them said, I realized that my, when I finally admitted to myself, I realized my whole childhood was a lie. Mm. And that's what it felt like to me. I had never put it in those kinds of, that kind of term, yeah. but it fit because everything that I thought that kept me safe, that was real and true, wasn't. And that it certainly changed my relationship with my brother, which confused him because, you know, before I was this adoring little sister and then I became this, this, uh, you know, angry monster. Mm. Now I should also tell you that in the course of growing up, my brother was a relentless teaser. Yeah. So he would, you know, he would poke me. Um, I mean, literally poke me with his finger. He would tickle me to extremes. In fact, when I was three, he came into my room and tickled me so much and that I fell out of my bed and my chin hit the woodwork that was in, in my room and it broke my chin open and I bled everywhere. My mm -hmm. dad had to take me to the hot, the emergency room, which was downtown, very far from our home. Wow. You know, so that's the kind of stuff that he would do. And, and what would he would say is in that particular instance, I said, well, you, the light was off. I was trying to go to sleep and he said, oh no, the light was on. It was like, oh no, it wasn't. And my parents sided with my brother because he was older. Oh, and no. I do remember that. That was not a memory that I had suppressed because I was mad. You know, it's like, nobody's yeah. listening to me. Right. And so in terms of how have I been able to integrate this over the course of years, it's taken me years because yeah. what happens when you're abused that young is you not only lose a piece of the child that you could have been, you lose the adult you could have been if this hadn't ha had not happened. So there was a lot of anger for me around 
what had happened. And I spent a lot of my adult life looking backwards, wishing I could be different, wishing things could be different. Of course, they can't be because I've got this life. I'm living this life right now and I can't go back. The last time I was in therapy about it was really the, the time that it has finally stuck where I because of other reasons, I'm in a relationship and I was, I was beginning to exhibit behaviors that were um, a little nuts. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid of losing my relationship. And it's like, okay, I have to go back into therapy because I'm not dealing with things really well. And I know I can, but I feel like I've lost that ability. And I found a fabulous therapist. And I finally allowed myself to completely open up because you know, sometimes you can game the system. You can game yeah. the therapist. Yeah. And I didn't do that this time. And I just let the pain flow. Mm. And that was really, that was hard. Yeah. Anybody who's so, been through that will say that. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So this last therapist that you went to that where you really opened up, how long ago was that? That was 2015. Into, oh, so not that Dude. long ago, still pretty no. recent. No, no, it was, it was spurred. One of the things that I grew up feeling was that I was never good enough. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Nothing I did would be perfect. I was, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Mm. Um, but not being good enough colored my life everywhere. Even when I would do things that were extraordinary. You know, I was very good at my, my corporate job, but... Yeah. I would never really fully feel the success. I was always moving on to the next thing. So I would still be perceived as good enough. And honestly, I would react to things in a kind of, if if something happened that was not what I expected, I reacted in a fairly childish way. I learned how to hide that. But inside, I was still reacting like a two-year-old. Oh. Wow. And you were aware of that. So when you were Mm. in the corporate world, you were totally aware that you were responding like a two-year-old inside, even though it wasn't being, um, you weren't showing that to the world. Were you conscious of that? Or was it, was it down the path that you started realizing that, oh my God, this is what I've been doing to handle this kind of upset in my life? Oh no, I was fully aware for whatever reason. I've been very self-aware my most of my life and I always felt like there's something wrong with me and and, you know in one sense there really was I never I kind of got stuck emotionally when it came to personal relationships at a really young age and I had to figure out ways to overcome that and when I finally found uh, Kathleen my last therapist Uh, She was able to really help me zero in on where that was coming from and how I was still manifesting that and ways to be able to not react that way, to stop being reactive. It was almost like she turned, she helped turn off a switch in my head. And suddenly that, that voice that I always equated with my mother stopped. It stopped. And to have that silence in my head was amazing. Suddenly, I wasn't saying these nasty things to myself. I once had a psychic say, I've never met somebody who self-flagellates to the degree that you do. She said, you must really hate yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's no wonder that I've gone through the majority of my life suicidal at varying points in my life, Mm. because it's like, what's the point? Why am I here? Well, I have a son, you know? So even, even though when I left the corporate world, I left partly because I was incredibly burned out and suicidal to the point that I was sitting up at night, figuring, trying to get the courage up to go down to my car get in it, drive away and run into a brick wall. I remember thinking that and just sobbing because I was so unhappy. Yeah. Wow. And how old was your son then, Liz? He was probably 17. So he was older. 
and he was having his own issues. And, you know, when you grow up with a mom that's kind of messed up, I really tried to hide it, but I couldn't hide everything. He's going to be 35. So we've had conversations about this. You know, at first he was a little taken aback that I would even want to talk about that. But and when I say that, it's how, how he was raised and how I was with him. And I traveled a lot when he was younger because I was the, I was the corporate person. My ex-husband was the, the tool and die guy. And, you know, so we went on great vacations and we fixed up our house and we did all these things because I did this job. Yeah. But I missed a lot of my son's growing up years. And yeah. we actually have a really tight relationship now, leaving my corporate job at 17 was the right thing to do, not for my marriage, but it was the right thing to do for my son and for my parents who ended up passing away when well, my mom in 2003. So a year or so after I left corporate America and then my dad in 2006. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So your son must have, and, and I'm sorry, you know, when parents pass away, I don't want, I don't want to just skim over that. So oh, right. yeah. yeah, your son then knows about the abuse, the, the uh, molestation that happened to you as a child, right? He knows of it. I didn't go into any detail with him. Yeah. I just said, this happened. This is why I'm not talking to uncle Terry anymore. Yeah. Um, this is why things have panned out the way they have um, with our family relationships. Yeah. How did he receive it? Because I'm thinking about my son. There was something that happened with me when I was a teenager and I had shared it with my son because his girlfriend was going through a similar thing. And I had shared this in high school. I had an abusive boyfriend Mm. and I was sharing that with my son because his girlfriend had been in an abusive relationship. And when I had told him he wasn't a kid, he was probably 20 four or five. I mean, still a kid, but he's still a young man. And he was like 24 or five. And he was just like, I don't even want to know that. It was so painful to know that the woman he knows is his mom, right? Because they just see us as a mom. They don't, they're not always thinking that there was this life that happened before you became a mom Mm. and all of this other growing up and developing and understanding of our own selves that we have to go through. But I was so surprised. He was just like, I don't, I just don't want to know anything about it. You're okay now. And it's like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, okay, that's all I want to know. And I would have these deep conversations with his girlfriend, but never with him. And so I'm just curious, like, how did your son receive that information about your brother? You know, it, I didn't want to make it sound like this big, heavy deal, even though for me, it is a big, heavy deal. The only Mm -hmm. reason I really wanted to tell him that anything had happened was because I was no longer speaking to my brother and that I had no intention of ever speaking to him again and that I really didn't care whatever happened to him. And it affected our family dynamic because both of our, you know, his grandparents were now gone and now here's this uncle that he's seen, you know, sporadically through his life is no longer part of his life. And It was my son's decision to break off communication with my brother's child. I didn't ask him to do that because my son can live his own life, but he was never close to his cousin and, and felt that his cousin actually was a little weird. So it it, it, honestly, it didn't, it, that I don't think affected him as much as when I left my third husband, my last husband, um, because that was, he is the man that my son calls, he calls him his name, his given name, but he thinks of him as his dad. Because my first husband is his biological father, but they aren't close. His dad doesn't even live in the state. And uh, that was harder for him. And it was much harder for him to understand, partly because my ex-husband has this very large extended family and I was hated for leaving. I was hated. And since then, everybody's kind of come around. It's not like they welcome me with completely open arms, but his sisters have welcomed me back into the family. When my son got married, that was the first time I'd seen any of them in 10 years. And it was great. You know, it was great to get back in touch with them. And I felt like part of my life healed in that moment, which was great because I, nobody likes to be disliked. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) And that's why I stayed as long as I did. I stayed, I guess, seven or eight, nine years longer than I should have. 
our marriage devolved pretty quickly. We were really good friends. That's, we were, we should have stayed friends. Yeah. Yeah. So I just can't imagine you have all of this other stuff behind you. And now you have this extended family that hates you for getting a divorce from your husband. Did that trigger anything else? Did it spur on any of the stuff from before? Part of that, I have to be the perfectionist. I have to do everything completely well. I have so many questions that I want to ask you, Liz. Oh, my Lord. Because I can feel that pain of being ousted from a family is, I think that's enormous. Plus, you already have this going on with your brother. And if I can circle back to that for a second, did you talk to your parents about what had happened with your brother? That's a good question. I did. And I, I think I was around 21 when I did it, but I honestly don't remember. Um, my mother said nothing. And my dad was very flustered and upset. And the only thing I remember him saying was that happens in families sometimes. Mm. And, and that was the end of the discussion. Wow. And I never brought it up again. I just didn't, I, I have to imagine that my mother felt guilty because she was in the house when things were happening and she had no clue. Although I do think, I think she knew something, but never said anything, never did anything about it. Um, and I only say that because one day my, when I was older, my brother and I were sitting in my mom and dad's kitchen and she was reading a letter in the newspaper to Dear Abby. And it was exactly like what my brother had done to me. And she was reading it and I'm sitting there, I'm staring at my brother waiting and he's looking all around the room. And finally I get this really quick glance from him to me. And in that moment, I got the, the answer that I had been wondering is, okay, is this, you know, and my sister said it was true, but I need to know from him. And in that moment I knew yeah. it was because I could see right through what his, what his look was saying. My mom seemed to be, completely oblivious to this. Um, and I have no idea why she read that, that letter to us other than she knew. And this was before yeah. I had said anything. So I think I was older when I actually finally said something to my parents, but I don't remember. Sometimes I forget things on purpose because it was painful. Yeah. It was painful not being believed. You know, and oh, and yes, it, when I left my last husband, it was painful leaving because no one believed that, that I really had a good reason for leaving. It's like, we haven't had sex in seven years, you know? And before that, it was sporadic yeah. to begin with. And, you know, we're just living, we're living parallel lives, but we're not living lives together. This is not what I signed up for. And yeah. you know, he's a really nice guy. And that made it even harder because everybody likes him. Right. So, yeah. so I lost not only his family, but I lost all of our friends because all of his friends were my friends and I had very few of my oh. own friends. Oh man. The other thing, the other thing that ended up happening was I felt so guilty about this. I was breaking out in hives and it was that emotional mm. representation. I was also going through perimenopause. That was part of it as well. But when I would get stressed, oh, God. I would break out in hives in a on my hands and my feet. And it was, it was incredibly itchy and awful. And I also got into a relationship with a guy who was 11 years younger with, than me and was a sociopath. He was awful. And I stayed with that guy yeah. for three years. And in some regard, I believe I deserved that yeah. because look what I did to my ex-husband. Mm, yeah. And not conscious. You weren't consciously thinking that or were there bits of pieces where there was like that little spark of, I know what I'm doing and I'll just push that away because I feel like I deserve this because of what I did to my ex-husband or was it completely unconscious? Oh, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Isn't that just, yeah, it, it was, it was, when I look back on it now, it's, again, I can consciously forget. I think that's human nature. 
Um, yeah. But I have pictures. I have, I still have things from the relationship because I, I, I loved his kids. They were great. Um, but, but he was incredibly emotionally abusive. He, and he gaslighted me constantly. He cheated on me. I mean, it was one of those when I finally talked to my girlfriends because I had friends by then and told them what was going on and that I needed to get out of this relationship, they generously offered to move him out of our apartment. And that's exactly what they did. They showed up one morning with two uh, city police officers and moved him wow. out. Wow, this is, this is amazing. Then, you know, I had gotten like a pod or something and it was sitting in front of our apartment building and they moved all the stuff into there. And that was when I started to breathe again. Yeah. How did, how did he handle that, especially being a sociopath? How did he respond to you? Did he know that he was going to get, okay, how did that go down? He, uh, he walked out of the bathroom. He had just taken a shower. There was a door between that part of the, the apartment and the dining room. So I had closed the dining room door and he came out. He was like, so what do you want to do today? And then he realized he was hearing voices and he's like, who's here? And I said, you need to know that you're being moved out today. And he's like, wow. What? And he was angry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I opened the door and I said, you need to know that they're, the police are here. So don't do anything. Right. You might be thinking yeah. of doing, don't do it. And, yeah. and then I just said, you know, when I met you, I, I thought you were the greatest thing. I would have given you the moon because I loved you that much. So, but I didn't realize who you were. And now I yeah. see very clearly who you are and you're someone I do not need or want in my life. Yeah. And, and he packed up a little, a few things himself. The conundrum was he was driving my car. <laughs> oh no, so, <laughs> not yeah. good. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he, he requested to be able to use it, continue using it and I did say yes. And then he asked if I would go sh car shopping with him, and I did. I figured this is a little tiny price to pay to get him out of my life. And yeah. he fought the, the relationship breakup, and then he did some other things that weren't very nice. And then finally, he gave up. And that was great. And then he moved out of the area. And that, that day, I messaged my son, because my son was an adult by then, but his relationship had fallen apart, and he was living with me and this guy in the apartment. Okay. And, uh, and then my son bought a house, and you know that we left, both left that apartment. But I messaged my son, and I said, hey, he moved away. And my son was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and that was my response and my, my, my current fiance, because yes, I believe in love and Mike is amazing. He is the kind of man I wish I could have met when I was 20, but didn't because yeah. I was too messed up and I couldn't attract somebody like him. And he loves me, warts and all. You know, he was very supportive yeah. of me getting therapy because he didn't want the relationship to end. And uh, yeah. so we're going to get married next year but awesome you know so so there there is a happy ending to to yeah. all of this and you know if anybody's going through this the, the hardest part is seeing your way through and and it's funny as I'm saying this I'm getting emotional but it is it is hard to know that you're worth it if you don't think you ever are and that there may be people around who completely think you're worth it you just need to be able to hear it. You need to be able to set aside whatever it is that you're holding about yourself. And you know, this little bag of, of anger and hate and self-loathing and, and try to set it aside and let some of that light come in. Because that's what I fought for so long. And I think if I had not had my son, I probably would have committed suicide because I didn't feel like I had anything to live for. So in that regard, I never planned to have children I, will, I, I am not a religious person, but I do give God credit for seeing the way through that I got pregnant at 21 and had my son at 21 because I needed an anchor. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So 
Liz, how did you do it? I know that this was a long, windy road and there's a lot that happened in there, but what do you think was the biggest thing that helped you to get that, if I was to say self-worth, and I'm doing it in air quotes, I actually hate air quotes, but I'm doing it in air quotes, but that feeling of your own deserving, that you are worthy of having love and a relationship that is mutually not saying that the third husband wasn't respectful, but if you're in a marriage and it's, you know, nobody's having sex and seven years have gone by. And if you want to live like roommates, then that's all cool. But if that's not what you want, then what are all of the steps or a few of the steps that you took to get you to where you are now? And before you tell us that, I think the thing that you said that's so profound is that you couldn't have attracted somebody like Mike into your life when you were younger because you just weren't there. That wasn't what you were attracting and it was all still part of that healing process. But what are a couple of things that you did that helped you to know that there was some kind of light or a string of hope or something to hold on to until the next morning to take that next step? Do you know what those are or is it, wow, yeah, do you know what those are? Um, you know, I'm not sure I've, I've ever tried to articulate them as steps. You know, for me, it was, part of it was my son, because even though he is all grown up and on his own, he's still my son. And I would never want to hurt him that way. I would never want to leave him, you know, in, in a, a very sudden suicidal type of way. So that was kind of always my touchstone. But in the deepest depths of my, what I called my pit of despair, when I could not see my way clear, um, I just, honestly, I'm not sure there were steps. It was the belief that I'm here, not, if it's not for me to feel good, who can I help to be better. If I can't do it for myself, can I do this for someone else? Whatever that meant, whether it meant selling, when I was in the corporate world, selling market research to a client who really, really needed it to see if their new product would work, or if it was to you know, a friend who needed somebody to lean on because they were heartbroken over something that had happened, and I'm a great listener. Yeah. So it was just that feeling that I'm here for a reason. But if I, if I also think about from, say, 2015 to now, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I am like carefree and life is always awesome because there are situations where I revert back to, I'm an introvert by nature anyway. I can be an extroverted introvert, but there are times when I just kind of go into myself and conferences, like the one that we met at, um, yeah. I was very much into me. And I was, it was scary. That's the first big conference I've been to in nine years. So I was wow. putting myself out there in a big way. And not only that, but I was putting myself out to share this story. And yeah. so there was a lot of emotional self-care that I had to do um, And there are still times when I will feel less than or not good enough, especially if something happens in a public way. And you may not know it because I've, you know, I've got these coping mechanisms that still will kick in. But the way I deal with it afterwards is different. That's the part that changed. Instead of going back to self-flagellating and ruminating over what could have been and what I should have done, it's like, oh, that happened. No big deal. Nobody died. I can move on now and it won't happen again. And that has been so freeing. I mean, it sounds trite to say nobody died. Well, nobody did. And that would be to me the worst outcome ever. So in most situations where things, silly little things happen, where I feel embarrassed, that's when you know, I would kick into my, I'm awful. I'm a terrible person. I don't deserve to live. You know, I mean, and I would say those things very seriously to myself. I'm 
sounding like I'm joking, but I, I really believed it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. The place where you started from and where you're at now and just, right? And when we say those kinds of things to ourselves, to be able to pull ourselves up and out of that and beyond that, and even knowing it's all a work in process. And so there's still times that you revert back. Do you still have those powerful um, self-loathing, you're not, you are not worthy words? Do you have those or are they less? Have they lessened and do you catch them much quicker? Or do you have, do those kinds of phrases and words even come to you anymore? You know, they, they rarely show up anymore. More so, more likely what will show up for me, for me now, and these usually came in tandem, is a physical response. So if you think about if you've ever been embarrassed, kind of what that might feel like, you know, like, ugh, and it's almost like a, I don't want to say a punch to the gut, but it's like your heart kind of withers a little bit and you feel a little smaller. That's, yeah. that's a very tangible feeling for me to know that I'm in that space. Now, I'm already aware that I'm in that space, but it's, that's the tangible feeling of, oh, yeah, that's where I've gone. And yeah. it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to give myself a moment or two to feel this because I'm feeling this for a reason, okay? So I'm embarrassed or I'm upset or somebody did something, but then it does pass. It's like, okay, I lived through that. Now let's move on. And it's much easier now because I've been doing it a lot more, especially after working with my last therapist in how to catch it early on and how to stop my brain from beginning to cycle down. Because that's what would happen is I would start in a spot and then suddenly I'd end up in my dungeon of despair. And there's a payoff for that. See, this is the thing most people don't realize is if you've grown up this way, if you've always felt this way, there is a physical I don't know if it's serotonin. There is a payoff, an emotional payoff to feeling bad. And yeah. once I realized that, that it was like a little, a little really depressing high of, oh, I'm yeah. going to sit in all these really bad thoughts and I feel like crap, but there's a part of me that's getting off on this. Yeah. That's the cycle that has to stop. And I wish I could tell you how I was able to do that and how I recognize it now, but it is almost like a runner's high or a chocolate high. Yeah. Um, and it, for me, it's a physical feeling. It's like, oh, and the other day I, I realized I haven't done that in a while. Uh -huh. You know, I used to sit and I used to sit and, and make up stuff about, you know, say Mike, oh, well, he's, you know, he's never cheated on me. I don't ever anticipate that he will, but I'd sit and make stuff up because I was getting mm. that little rush of depression. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it, but that is yeah. what it felt like. And I realized yeah. I don't do that anymore. Isn't that interesting? Because I don't, yeah. I don't feel the need to do that. It doesn't serve me. I have so many right. wonderful things going on in my life. You know, I've met you. Yeah. I've met uh, you know, other people that were at that conference. I've got, my business is doing really well and I've got plans to scale up this year. I've I'm just, you know, Mike's kids are, are both in college and they're growing to these amazing adults. And my son is having his first child in June. I mean, Aww. you know, and I have three crazy cats. I mean, that life is good. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's fantastic. And you can hear it. You can completely hear the shift and change in your voice, in your energy when you start talking about where you're at now and how everything has shifted and changed and come around. Just so the listeners know, do you think you could have done this on your own to get from where you were at 21, let's just say 21, to where you are now? Do you think you could have done that without the therapist and even the ones that didn't really serve you as well. Maybe they were just stepping stones or whatever the other therapist did. But when you got to this last therapist that really was able to turn the tide for you and, and allow you to see so much more and, and really be able to regain your life, right? I mean, just to have all of that back. Could you have done any of this without the therapist, do you think, or no? Do you think that was an integral part for your healing to get where you are? I can only speak for me. I think if I had been able to do all of this on my own, I would have. 
But what I kept yeah. running into was a door. You know, there was yeah. that emotional, mental door that I could not open on my own, even though I tried. And there were times I'd get glimpses, like I could open it a little bit and see what was on the other side, but then it would snap shut again because I didn't believe I could, I deserved what was there. Right. And it, well, it really, for me, wasn't until I was able to find someone who could help me not only open the door, but position it so it can never go shut again. Yeah. I really don't think I could have done it on my own. I mean, I work in the self-help industry. That's why I work with authors that want to write books in this industry, because I've read so many books. <laughs> And some yeah. have been more helpful than others. I will give a plug to Elizabeth Gil Gilbert because Eat, Pray, Love was what finally convinced me it was time to leave my last marriage. Mm. You know, so, and her book was not a self-help book in a lot. It was for her, but it really, I don't think she intended it that way, but it was for me. And, but no, right. I, I really feel that I needed somebody to take my hand who could truly listen to me and who could help me parse what I was saying and what I was feeling and helping me see the fraud in the statements. You know, I'm not an awful person. Yeah. You know, I do deserve to be loved. I do deserve to be happy. And she was great at being able to do that and not necessarily in that really overt way. It was all, you know, kind of a covert way of getting me to see my life differently. And to yeah. unpack my baggage. That was a big thing. Yeah. I'll always have baggage. I will always yeah. be a work in progress. But I'm yeah. just in such a better place than I, than I was. Yeah. I think we are all a work <laughs> in progress. And I think when it's time for us to say adios to this world and go to wherever it is that we go to, I think even then it's like, damn, but it wasn't done because I was just getting ready to discover this piece of me and you know, give me another hundred years. Let me get this all. But it's, yeah, I think we're all just a work in progress. And I just applaud you for not giving up on the therapy because there's so many people I think that either... They've gone to therapists and get the or, or whoever, whatever the help was that they that they sought, and they didn't get the results that they wanted. And and many people just quit and they just say, I just this is how it's going to be. And just to be able to continue on. And for me, I always feel like it's just that there's a knower inside of us that just knows. Just try this one more time, or or do this, or something sparks that idea that maybe this person, maybe this time it would be different. And, and not to have the shame around needing to have some outside help to figure it out. I mean, I just think that we're kind of a culture that says, you know, figure it out on your own and push through and get over it and, you know, march on and get your, get your life done. And yes, it's like, but we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And every single one of us has something. So just to be able to help another human being, it's like, oh my God, right? And that's exactly what you do with your work that you're doing now is helping other people who have those stories inside of them for you to be able to help them to get it out. Because that's, I think that's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to be able to get your story out in a way that you're not, for lack of another word, it's late in the afternoon. And I'm going to say just vomiting it out on everybody because that's not the right. story, right? It's, and you have that beautiful gift of being able to take that information and take that story and shape it and mold it. So it is, it has that flow and it has that rhythm. And when you're reading it, you're in the story, you're part of the story and you feel that. And I think it's beautiful how you have turned everything around and how your life has become this beautiful golden gem that it is. And having Mike in your life and his children and your new grandbaby that's coming. And when is your, when's your son due? I mean, I know your son's not the one pregnant, but that's how we say it <laughs> yes. now, right? So when are they uh, due? <laughs> June 24th. The 24th. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll want to hear if you have a girl or a boy oh, it's, or if they it's do, a boy. do you know? Yeah, so his, yes, yes. They already know that, which, you know, I, I said, well, gosh, you know, I just wanted to be surprised. And they're like, nope, we're not, not interested in that. <laughs> like, okay. It's a boy. Yeah. 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 My, my awesome. son, my son was going to be happy with whatever, but I think he is secretly delighted. It's a boy. Yeah. And 
I'm kind of secretly sure. delighted it's a boy because I understand boys because girls I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any anybody understands girls. I think we're complicated. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, we, we might have a whole lot of girls yeah. pissed off at us, but <laughs> I do. I This is no lie. I used to work in a restaurant, I don't know, probably 20 years ago or something. I had a coworker and I loved her to tears, but she would be complaining about her husband doing something. I was just like, but I don't get it. What part are you pissed off at? Like, what did he do that made you so mad? Because right. I couldn't see it. And she would explain it again. It's like, I don't get it. So I would just call up my husband. I'd go, hey, I'm just telling you right now, I'm sorry for any of the crazy shit that I'm going to be pulling on you later on, because that's <laughs> what we do. <laughs> we just get crazy and take that's it out right. on you. So I'm apologizing Aww, in advance. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, God. So Liz, I'm wondering if you are going to be singing for this little baby grand grand boy that's going to be coming into your life and tell us how is it how is it that you got into singing as we start to bring this in for a landing. How beautiful. Oh, well, I love that you, you sing. I love that you uh, well, I'm sure I'll be singing to to his name's going to be Roman. So I'm sure I will be singing to him. Roman. Uh, the the way I got started oh. Um, and in part, this was because of that feeling like I had to kind of insert myself into things to feel like I was worthy. So I kind of inserted myself yeah. into a band that Mike, Mike plays the guitar. He has, he has a job, but he loves being called a rock star a lot more. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so he had started a band and this is, yeah, it's a band of, of, of amateurs. There are no professionals. And so it's like, well, I want to sing because I always wanted to sing. And that is one of those things that I lost in my childhood because of what my brother did, because I went mm -hmm. from being still an introverted little girl, but I love to sing and dance and I love to be on stage. And I lost all of that. Yeah. And I didn't understand why until later. So here was my chance to be up on stage. Well, it's a lot easier than it looks. And yeah, you know, being, being judgmental about my abilities, because I still was in, kind of in the thick of my stuff, I persevered because even though I don't sing perfectly, um, I, I do the best job I can. And I finally came to the realization that if I am on stage and I am singing, and someone in the audience is being judgmental because I might have missed that note. All I have to say to them is, you're down there, I'm up here, you come up here and do it. Because it ain't as easy as you think. <laughs> right, right. I love it. So you're actually singing in front of people. You're just not hanging out in the garage singing with the band. You're oh, singing yeah, in front of people. Oh yeah, that was always the goal was to get out and and sing. So wow. so I have I have sung in front of, you know, groups of about 200 people. Um and wow. You know, and and eventually I got more comfortable with it. Um but there's yeah. there's a lot of prep work that goes with it. There's, there's a lot of practice that goes with it. And I am the non-practice queen. So that was part of it. Okay. I, I finally, I say I'm on hiatus. I'm not sure I will ever go back to it because there are other yeah. things I love to do more than sing. And yeah. I can walk around the house and I can sing to the cats or my neighbor's cat when I'm taking care of her. And that makes me almost as happy and it's a lot less stressful than singing in front of a bunch of people yeah, and having to deal with band yeah. drama because bands have drama. Sometimes I created the drama. I will Ooh. admit that. <laughs> but I think, there, yeah, I, I was going to well, say, I'm, I think if there's a lesson for anybody that's listening to this is that you are never too old. I skied for the first time when I was 52 that actually was what kind of pushed me wow. back into therapy. That's a whole different story that I will not go into because I know we're nearly at the end. But don't, you know, don't let age be a factor because, you know, I'm done things now that I wish I could have done when I was younger, but I didn't because I didn't know how or I couldn't because emotionally I wasn't ready to do that. So don't ever give up on yourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, and, and accomplishing it now, I just, there's, there's so much more glory in that because I think there's a, 
a place where we're saying to ourselves, I can't do that. I'm not good enough for that. That will never happen for me. I'm out of time. And then when you actually step up and you do it, it's just like, oh man, hot diggity. Look at what I just did and what I accomplished. So what else is there that I can accomplish? What is the next thing for me to be able to to do, to grow into? I think it's fabulous. Liz, one of the things that you had said, I wrote this down when I had um, spoken with you last, you said one of your messages, and maybe this is your main message, is that you are here today and you are stronger than you think you are. Is that still the message that, that resonates with you, that you carry with you every day? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I am here for a reason. Yeah. And I am stronger than, than what I thought I potentially was, but I've, I've repeatedly shown myself that. I've done things that I yeah. know other stronger, more emotionally stable people probably would never do because they were afraid. So there, yeah. there was an aspect of pushing past fear. I might not feel like I'm worthy of it, yeah. but darn it, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I would, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. I just, just completely honor you and everything that you have overcome, where you're at, what you have accomplished. You can feel that energy from you and it's so life-giving and alive and it just feels so good. So I am, I am so honored to have you with me on this hour and I want to make sure that everybody knows how to contact you because you don't do coaching on this. This is not, I wanted to talk about this because this is the, the podcast that I have. It's inspiration. You know, it doesn't matter what that tragedy is you you can come to terms with it and you can overcome it and grow into and discover the very best you that you are capable of being and you're still doing that and still growing into that and I think it's beautiful but for people to be able to contact you um, as far as being an author coach and ghost writing and editor for that they would go to and I love the name of your company because you have three cats and the name of your company is Fuzzy Dog yes. LLC. So <laughs> it just makes me smile every time I see Thank that. You. I love it. So it, it's just, I think it's fantastic. So if people want to contact you, that's the best way to get in, in touch with you. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Through your uh, website? FuzzyDogLLC.com. Okay. Um, and I, I'm on social okay. media as right. well under Fuzzy Dog and under my name. So, you know, feel free to look me up. And I appreciate you saying that I don't coach on, you know, traumatic events, but if someone does have a story that they are ready to tell, that's when you can come to me because that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's obvious that you do it very, very well. You do it very well. And I just think that everything that you've learned and all of the life experiences and, and what you've discovered about yourself, it just weaves right into the work that you do. And that's so beautiful because you're able to take that story that a person may not be able to say eloquently and you are able to direct that into that flow and energy where the reader gets to, gets to be part of the story while they're reading along and not, not having all of the excess stuff that, that takes you away from the story to begin with. And I just think that's, that's a huge gift. That's a huge talent. And I honor you for being Thank able you. to help others get their book out of them. So beautiful. So just so everybody knows, um, Liz's information will be in the show notes. So don't worry about finding, you know, you know, having to come back through here and trying to find <laughs> out what was her website. It will all be in the show notes, how to contact her, her name and the social media. It will all be there for you. So no worries there. Liz, I just adore you. I, I'm honored you were on the show with me and I just am so, yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled we had this time together and, and I just like the idea of calling you my friend. So thank you, my friend, for being here with us and helping the world while you were healing. The, the world gets the benefit of, of your beautiful oh, lessons. Thank you, Nita. This has been so much fun and I appreciate all the very thoughtful questions you asked me uh, because this is not an easy topic to talk about but it is one that we all need to talk about yeah. because it's happening everywhere. So thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Liz. 
and to everybody out there in listener land. Have a beautiful day. Please go back and listen to this again because there's so many nuggets of wisdom and healing that's available in here. And if you listen to it again, you'll be able to pull out some more information and know that your life can become epic no matter what it was that laid in front of you. Until next week, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information that you can use right away. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to rate and review right there on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.